March 19th, 2018, Skype class from Hilo, Hawaii, reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 3, Chapter 29, Explanation of Devotional Service by Lord Kapila Dev, Text 31. Tataha. Tataha. Among them. Among them. Varnaha. Varnaha. Classes. Classes. Cha. 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 And. And. Chadvaraha. Chadvaraha. Four. Four. Tesham. Of them. Of them. Brahmanaha. Brahmana. Hey, Brahmana. Brahmana. Uttama. Uttama. Best. Best. Brahmaneshu. 
Brahmanas. Among the Brahmanas. Among the Brahmanas. Api. Api. Moreover. Moreover. Veda. Veda. The Vedas. The Vedas. Gnaha. Gnaha. One who knows. One who knows. He. He. Certainly. Certainly. Artaha. The purpose. The purpose. Gnaha. Yeah. One who knows. One who knows. Abhyadikaha. Better. Better. Tataha. Than him. Translation and purport by Srila Prabhupada. Among human beings, the society which is divided according to quality and work is best. And in that society, the intelligent men who are designated as Brahmanas are best. Among the Brahmanas, one who has studied the Vedas is the best. And among the Brahmanas who have studied the Vedas, one who knows the actual purport of the Veda is the best. Purport. The system of four classifications in human society according to quality and work is very scientific. The system of Brahmanas, Satriyas, Vaishyas, and Sudras has now become vidiated as the present caste system in India. In India. But it appears that this system has been current a very long time, since it is mentioned in the Srimad Bhagavatam and Bhagavad Gita. Unless there is such a division of the social orders in human society, including the intelligent class, the martial class, the mercantile class, and the laborer class, there is always confusion as to who is to work for what purpose. A person trained to the stage of understanding the absolute truth is a brahmana, and when such a brahmana is Vedagna, he understands the purpose of Veda. The purpose of Veda is to understand the Absolute. One who understands the Absolute Truth in three phases, namely Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagavan, and who understands the term Bhagavan to mean the Supreme Personality of Godhead, is considered to be the best of the Brahmanas or a Vaishnava. Tatovarnas chatvaras tesham Brahmana Uttama Brahmaneshva Biveda Gno Hyarta Gno Bhyadikastata among human beings, the society which is divided according to quality and work is best. And in that society, the intelligent men who are designated as Brahmanas are best. Among the Brahmanas, one who has studied the Vedas is the best. And among the Brahmanas who have studied the Vedas, one who knows the actual purport of Veda is the best. So I'm going to be speaking just about the first line, Tito Varnas Chachatvaras, among human beings, the society which is divided according to quality and work is best. I'm going to be going through... Um, some sections of the book that I'm working on uh, with Rukmini about uh, the Varnas and how to work according to the Varnas. So we're going to look first uh, at the four temperaments. What is the temperaments of each Varna? And then we're going to look at why the Varnas should be separated. What is the benefit of separating human occupations into these four. I, I don't know if you've ever wondered about that, but, you know, what, what's the benefit of this? And sometimes Prabhupada says that we don't need to do that. We don't need to designate anybody into these four classifications for their work. Well, however you designate according to modern designations, you're an engineer, you're a you know, doctor, that's fine. Just dedicate your work to the Supreme. But, you know, to take all the hundreds of thousands of occupations and put them into four categories it must have some purpose, otherwise the Lord wouldn't do it and it wouldn't be throughout the Vedic literature. So, one reason to do this is so that people don't work in the wrong area. Because each of these four big categories, and they're big categories, there's, there's, there's thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of occupations within each of these four categories, but these four main categories each involve a different temperament to start the work, and they also involved a different ideal. So we often think about one ideal for human being. You know, all human beings should be one ideal. But when we have these four classifications, we understand that there's four different types of ideals. And now we're speaking materially here. But there's four different types of ways to be an ideal person, and that's very significant because my way of being an ideal person may be radically different from your way of being an ideal person. So we're going to look at that first. 
And then we're going to look secondly at what happens when a person gets in the wrong of these four areas. What happens when a person who's suited to be a Brahmana works as a Shudra, a person who's suited to be a Vaisha works as a Kshatriya. And we'll see that it's devastating for the individual and it's also devastating for the society. So having these four large designations and knowing which area you fits in, you fit in means that you're going to be a happy person and it also means the society is going to function. Now that's all material. Why are we so concerned with the material? Well, having a material foundation where people are happy and society is sane is a very good basis on which to develop spiritual life. And another point is that in each of these areas, just like people's material idea will be a little different or sometimes radically different, so in a similar way, the specific way in which we serve the Lord may be somewhat or radically different. And this variety is very much pleasing to the Lord. It is also part of our intrinsic understanding of the nature of reality, that there's great variety. All right, let's look at the temperaments for each of these four areas. And we're going to be calling these fields. We're going to, uh, even today in English, we talk about what field of work are you in. So we're going to be calling these fields. And in this book, we're not using the terms Brahman, Ksatriya, Vaisha, Sudra anywhere. Rather, we're calling them the field of ideas, the field of government, the field of resources, and the field of artistry. So we're going to start with the field of artistry, which is in Sanskrit we call the sudras. So the, uh, the basic quality that indicates a disposition of the field of artistry is wanting to play with, taking enjoyment in what pertains to function and beauty in society. Some of us like making fine art, performing services, exercising a craft, we might love working with a particular medium like wood or clay. We might like working with a particular tool like a blowtorch or a paintbrush, using our own body as a tool, as in soccer or ballet. We might like working with our hands, being able to point to our handiwork. I made that. I fixed that. I cleaned that. We, like, might, we might like the solid sense that we've helped someone after we've shifted them to their hospital bed or shown them what they need to buy at a shop. If we like to produce a beautiful painting that will hang in somebody else's house. If we like making clothes that someone else will wear. If we like to have clean streets that someone else will walk on. This shows a general inclination to the field of artistry. Now let's say someone has become expert in the field of artistry. Now, I want to say for each of these four fields, we're going to look at the person who's young and starting out going into a field, and then also the expert. And I'd like to make the point that the Shastras speak almost entirely about the expert, which may be a little bit confusing. You know, we may look at the qualities of the expert and say, well, I don't have those qualities. <laughs> what field do I go into? Uh, but when we're talking about expert, we're not talking just about expert in the techniques of the field, but we're talking about expert in terms of the qualities of the field. And we're talking about expert in terms of knowing how to use that field in Dharma. Okay, so those who've achieved expertise in the field of artistry, again, not just in their craft, but also in the principles of charity and sacrifice and egoless work, as Krishna says, one should work free of uh, lethargy, but also free of ego. So such persons will serve others authentically in honesty. I mean, although honesty is uh, valued in all fields, it's particularly valuable in the fields of artistry people who represent their product or service accurately. And these people think, find great satisfaction in the work itself. Um, you may be familiar with Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi, who coined the word flow and once fully absorbed in work, and that seems to particularly apply to work in this field of artistry. In fact, the example given in the 11th canto of the arrow maker is someone who's absor so absorbed in their work that they don't notice the king's retinue uh, going by. And that's, again, in the field of artistry. So uh, the love of one's craft, satisfaction of doing a needed essential service, dignity of a job, job well done, a kind of a natural humility. Those who are expert in the field of artistry, they're, they're very satisfied with the basic necessities of life. They don't have a lot of ambition uh, the fundamental questions people in the field of artistry ask about their work are, 
Is it helpful? Is it beautiful? All right, going to the field of resources. So how does someone know they have an inclination to the field of resources? Uh, their uh, enjoyable objects will be land, crops, animals, or money which represent those resources. They enjoy continually staying on top of, of upcoming ways to earn more money. They tend to be ambitious, according to Bhagavatam 11, 17, 18. They want to increase their own wealth. They're rarely satisfied with their successes, always think of how to improve and expand in quality, quantity, or both, and to do so they're willing to take risks. They have a drive to achieve their goals, and they like to be always active. They tend to be goal-oriented instead of process-oriented, and they have some intuitive grasp of the flow of resources. So that's people who are somewhat inclined to this field. Now those who become expert, again, expert in terms of dharma, expert in terms of shastra, how to use this field in shastra in the field of resources. They become systems thinkers, even though they have their particular work. Uh, if they're working, for example, with land and animals, they feel and understand the whole system of the seasons, the natural production schedules of plants and animals, competitors in the marketplace. The flows they can understand and grasp are of these natural resources and money. They want to redirect those flows and increase them so that they themselves can tap into them. The questions these people ask themselves are, is it sustainable and is it regenerative? Hmm. Okay. Uh, Prabhupada gives an example of a person who is expert in the field of resources. Prabhupada tells this story. He says, long ago on Kolkata, Mr. Nandi asked a friend, please give me a little capital so I can start some business. His friend replied, you are a businessman? Yes. If you're really a businessman, why are you asking money from me? Money's on the street. You can find it yourself. Mr. Nandi said, I don't see anything. You don't see anything? Look at that. The dead mouse over there. That is your capital. At that time, as Prabhupada explains, there was a plague in Calcutta. The government had declared that anyone who brought a dead mouse to the municipal office would be paid two annas, a tiny sum. So Mr. Nandi took that dead mouse to the municipal office to collect two annas. With those two annas, he purchased some betel nut that he washed and sold for four annas. In a similar way, over and over again, buying and selling, that man became rich. Prabhupada told this story on August 5th, 1974 in Vrindavan. All right, the field of government. So people have an initial inclination to the field of government, are concerned about fairness and rules. They're interested in people. They want to make people happy. The kind of thing they get enjoyment from is heroism in caring for or protecting other people. They may tend to argue or fight easily, especially if they believe some higher principle is at stake. They have courage, they have a tough skin. In some cases, there may be a tendency toward leadership or at least to take charge mentality. Now, those who are expert, again, we're talking about the experts, we're not just talking about the, the skills involved in their work, but we're talking about expert in the dharma of their work. So the, the, uh, the Bhagavad Gita says that they have qualities of heroism, power, determination, resourcefulness, courage in battle, generosity and leadership. And the Bhagavatam says they have dynamic power, bodily strength, determination, heroism, tolerance, generosity, great endeavor, steadiness, high regard for those in the field of ideas and leadership. Uh, so they tend to run towards danger rather than away, away from it. Uh, this is, is in contrast with those in the field of resources who have more of the mood of putting their own oxygen masks on first. Uh, and there's different kind of riches. So the people in the field of government are interested in yasha, which is righteous fame, uh, and whereas the person in the field of resources is more concerned with virya or health and self-preservation. And uh, the people in the field of government, the questions they ask, again, the experts, are, is it just and is it honorable? Okay, in the field of ideas. So an inclination to work in the field of ideas are people who enjoy uh, playing, so-called playing, with language or mathematics in pursuit of truth. They tend to be insatiably curious. They want to know what is true and real. They're often good at breaking ideas and projects into smaller components. They see the patterns in ideas, relationships, and systems. Often such people like to teach others. 
Some people with a proclivity for the field of ideas prefer to work on their own, delving into research and study. So those who are experts in the field of ideas, which of course is more of what's discussed by Lord Kapila in this verse, the uh, Brahmanists who are expert in the Vedas and who realize the Vedas. So those who are expert in Bhagavad Gita list the qualities as peacefulness, self-control, austerity, purity, tolerance, honesty, knowledge, wisdom, and religiousness. And the Bhagavatam adds satisfaction, simple straightforwardness, devotion to God, and mercy. And we should note that the word shama, which is which Prabhupada translates as peacefulness in the Bhagavad Gita, is also sometimes translated as forgiveness. And uh, people who are expert in the field of ideas may be dedicated to assisting others mentally and emotionally by helping them to understand life and how things work. They may also be dedicated to understanding themselves or to seeking higher states of clarity, insight, and awareness. They may also take pleasure in helping people physically through medicine, through teaching physical skills. In general, people in this field like to collect knowledge, understand it, use it, and share it. Uh, so the questions that these people ask are, uh, is it true and is it wise? So again, the main fundamental questions of people in the four fields, these are the experts in the four fields, not the beginners who have some proclivity. In the field of artistry, people ask, is it helpful? Is it beautiful? In the field of resources, people ask, is it sustainable? Is it regenerative? In the field of government, they ask, is it just? Is it honorable? In the field of ideas, they ask, is it true and is it wise? So why is it that we don't want to work in an unsuitable field? I mean, we can understand that if the way that I work, the way I earn my livelihood is connected to my nature, that I'll be happier. <laughs> Uh, but why is it that I can't work in a way opposed to my nature? And of course, Krishna makes this point twice in the Bhagavad Gita, once in the third chapter and once in the 18th chapter, where he says that you're going to work according to your nature, period, end of story. It's going to happen. You're not going to be able to work in a way that's not according to your nature. He says the choices are to work according to one's nature properly or improperly. Those are the only choices. So what happens when a person does work that's opposed to their nature is that they do that work according to their nature. <laughs> if somebody in what, who's naturally in one field works in another field, they work in the other field as if they were working in their own field. That means they ask the wrong questions. That means they mess it up. They mess up things in that field. And they, uh, they themselves feel very frustrated. All right, so we're going to look at, at the situation of what we would call crossing fields. So we're going to look first at crossing government and resources. So when people suited to the field of resources instead work in the field of government. And of course this situation is extremely common in the modern world where people who are suited to the field of resources are instead working in the field of government. So such people tend to focus on the special interests of their particular industry rather than on the general interests of society as a whole. When working in the field of resources, they rightfully strive to increase the flow of specific resources, needing laser-like focus on the special interests of their enterprises. The mood of government is different. Government uh, is supposed to work in the long-term public interest. The entire society is their field. So unfortunately, the mood of concentrating on their own floor resources rather than the overall picture of society may lead such people to focus directly on lining their own pockets. Less brazenly, they may make decisions with a view towards helping their industry with an eye towards re-entering it. A related phenomena is regulatory capture. Workers in the field of government ideally promulgate and enforce standards that prevent exploitation of any, any part of society by any industry, including the agriculture industry. If people who are supposed to be looking out for all of society identify with a favored industry, they may create standards to protect that industry's interests rather than the public interest. Right? We give a, there's an example of the running of prisons. So ideally, people in the field of government act for the benefit of society keep the long-term interests of all people at heart. They protect people from crime by imprisoning criminals. The criminals are also people under their care. So running prisons includes preventing crime within the prisons and trying to rehabilitate the, prison, rehabilitate, 
the prisoners. But when persons whose nature is in the field of resources run prisons, they're not intrinsically motivated to prevent crime within the prisons because that doesn't affect their resources one way or another. Financially, they have no incentive to reform the prisoners, but quite the opposite. If the released prisoners have a high recidivism rate, then they become more profitable. On the personal level, those working in the field of government whose nature is to be in the field of resources may feel frustrated and impatient with being called upon to take into account so many varied considerations dealing with the needs of every part of society. They feel more at home being able to say, that's not my business, for concerns outside of a limited sphere. They may react by trying to fabricate rationales why they should be able to ignore much of what they're being asked to consider. If they can't escape, then they may be overwhelmed and feel that they're in an impossible situation. Okay, let's say uh, government and ideas. So when people suited for the field of ideas work instead in the field of government. So it's the function of people in the field of ideas to advise people in the field of government, taking a neutral, detached perspective and calling out abuses. This mechanism can be disrupted when people whose nature it is to be in the field of ideas instead work in the field of government. They may lose the perspective to offer this service. In general, short-term crises may compromise their natural long-term overall perspective. Furthermore, in the field of government, justice, fairness, and law should predominate. But in the field of ideas, forgiveness, equanimity, tolerance, and detachment are the ideals. Someone whose nature is in the field of ideas may appear when working in the field of government to be soft on domestic crime and enemy nations. In addition, their own natural detachment from concepts of fame and honor may make it hard for such persons to energize and lead citizens patriotically. Truth will need to be sacrificed for diplomacy, which will be agonizing and difficult for the person whose nature is to be in the field of ideas. Sometimes persons in the field of ideas may fall prone to analysis paralysis, spending more effort on collecting and integrating information than is practical for efficient decision making. What happens when people suited for the field of government work in the field of ideas? This crossover can result in the politi politicization politicization of a specific field of knowledge. Knowledge can be bent for political purposes. People's immediate needs and motives of righteous fame may dominate over truth. Those who work in the field of ideas do best with systems of mutual adjustment where the organizational form and hierarchy is fluid. When those with a government nature work in the field of ideas, they may tend to impose the more hierarchical structure with which they feel comfortable, but such a form stifles the free flow of knowledge. They may also find it difficult to be energized by renunciation and long for their native wealth of fame. They can thus be swayed by acclaim and community biases which swerve them from truth. Interestingly, interestingly those suited for the field of government may love to play with ideas, but the focus of that play is practical action for community development and protection. Areas such as pure mathematics will get neglected as frivolous. Okay, looking at people of ideas who work in the field of resources. A person whose nature is to work in the field of ideas focuses on truth foremost, taking a neutral, detached perspective. The very nature of work in the field of resources is not to be neutral or objective, but to focus on increased flows of resources for the profit of one's enterprise and family. Thus, people whose nature is to work in the field of ideas, but who work in the field of resources, may find that bias creeps into their habits of mind without their being aware, for, aware of it. The person may then feel frustration and satisfaction. Eventually, the person may come to feel depressed. Uh, well, there's a very interesting story uh, in a book I read recently called The Alchemy of Air about a natural scientist, Bosch, who was working with Haber on finding ways to synthesize uh, fertilizers from drawing nitrogen out of the air. And it was explained that whenever he was talking to other scientists and whenever he was working on the scientific aspect of this work, he was very happy and energized and lively, but the government pushed him more and more into the business side. And as he got into the business side, although he was fairly good at it, he became very depressed and ended up uh, very involved in intoxication. Because the business side of thing involved thinking in a way and acting in a way that was 
opposed to his natural nature of being a scientist. So when such persons become aware of how bias and personal profit affect their neutrality, they tend to feel disgusted with themselves. And this is exactly what happened to Bosch. And, and I think anyone who's naturally in the field of ideas who works in the field of resources. Their concept of fairness and transparency may be such that they are inclined to give things away and either feel conflicted by profit-minded work or abandon it. Sometimes a crossover situation like this results in businesses which involve giving away large amounts of profits or in some way promoting research. Such businesses may reach a point where the founders see profit and marketing overwhelming ideas and then they sell the business to somebody more suited for the field of resources. Now what happens when people suited for the field of resources work in the field of ideas? So perhaps the most obvious problem with this specific crossover is the increased likelihood of corruption in the field of ideas for society in general. Like when pharmaceutical companies fund drug tests about their own potentially profitable medicine, the temptation to engage in fraud and not follow the standards is there. They do adhere to the principles of their job. They might find themselves dispirited and unmotivated by the lack of money and leadership opportunity in what is optimally a job where people share or even completely abjure personal credit. Additionally, because people whose nature is, it is to work in the field of resources are likely to find the field of ideas to be full of impractical, pie-in-the-sky concerns, they may neglect such concerns entirely, which is a loss to both the individual and society. All right, what happens when people suited for the field of artistry work in either the field of ideas or the field of government? For people in the field of artistry, the constant focus on the interplay of people needed to work in government may feel like a draining distraction from what they prefer to do, which is focus on honing and exercising their own skills. They'll often refer to the interplay of people as politics in a pejorative way. Similarly, the field of ideas may seem like abstractions with as much meaning as crossword puzzles. Something whose role in their life is an occasional idle pastime instead of serious work. So a person whose nature is in the field of artistry, but who ends up in the field of government or the field of ideas, may end up neglecting to take a broad view of society and its long-term interest in favor of the aspects of their work that are more suited to artistry. The most essential aspects of the work will then be neglected. Or such persons may end up mentally checking out, simply going through the motions and remaining personally unfulfilled. People in the field of artistry may assist those in government as bureaucrats, whose role is to carry out well-defined procedures that have been specified in law. These roles are very important to the functioning of a complex society, although bureaucracy has developed a poor reputation among people in general. Perhaps this reputation occurs partly because when a citizen interacts with a bureaucrat, they may expect a level of discretion that the bureaucrat does not exercise. Exercising discretion is not the role of the bureaucrat, who may sometimes not even have the autonomy to do so. We can understand how when those naturally suited to the field of artistry work fully in the field of government, which really does require strategy and shrewd discretion in decision-making, they often mar the work by doing it in a bureaucratic fashion. Bureaucracy brought to the field of ideas is even more stifling for individuals and society. Freedom is key to the field of ideas, and persons working there require both the literal and figurative space to allow for discussion, exploration, that may seriously challenge the status quo. Bureaucrats, on the other hand, are devoted to upholding the status quo. Thus, there is a conflict. Furthermore, those in the field of artistry are concerned with the beauty and function of society in the sense of tangible, tactile work. But the field of ideas is one of abstractions. When those suited for artistry work and ideas, they often miss subtlety and context in knowledge and information. They may thus present facts, quotes, and truth out of context, in isolation, with the aim of preserving or creating functionality in a limited sphere. What happens when people suited for the field of government or the field of ideas work in the field of artistry? For people whose nature is in the field of government or the field of ideas, working in the field of artistry usually entails dependence on specific patrons, customers, or employers. This dependence naturally creates a special interest in pleasing that particular sub-segment of society, which will feel very awkward to such persons who place a high value on autonomy. Furthermore, focus on specific projects naturally shortens the time frame of one's thinking to within project windows. 
both constraints of deadlines and whom to please run the risk of taking precedence over large-scale considerations of fairness, justice, public interest, and long-term or abstract thinking. Thus, such persons feel conflicted. The inner conflict may show itself in insubordination, procrastination, and failure to meet deadlines. A greater risk is that those suited for the field of ideas, and to a lesser extent those suited for the field of government, tend to be active thinkers whose minds range over a broad scope of knowledge. Working only with concrete, tangible areas may lead them to intoxication as a way of dealing with the mental activity they cannot express. It is not uncommon for those of the fields of ideas to use some craft of the field of artistry in order to communicate their ideas. For example, teachers may become expert in creating graphical and digital designs for their presentation. In a similar way, those in the field of government may gain some expertise in the craft of acting in order to add to the effectiveness of their role of public leadership. What happens when those in the field of resources work in the field of artistry? Well, it's not uncommon for those in the field of resources to do some work in the field of artistry as part of their own education and apprenticeship for the simple reason that they often manage people in the artistry field and benefit from practical experience in that work. However, when those whose nature is in resources work in artistry as their career, their innate drive for expansion of profit and goods tends to emphasize quantity over quality. Thus, a lot of the artistry in the field of artistry becomes lost to automation and mechanization. This loss affects the other artisans, who may end up sacrificing the quality of their work in order to compete and survive. When those in the field of artistry are pushed through automation, it's as if the very soul of their work is gone. Being unhappy and unfulfilled, such persons may resort to intoxication to ease their pain. The loss also affects society in general as low-quality products become the norm. Some examples of low quality in the field of artistry are fast foods, clothing which become fashionably obsolete or falls apart quickly, plastic items, repla- plastic items replacing metal and glass, computerized phone answering systems, entertainment that titillates with violence and sex rather than inspiring reflection, and drug-fueled sports. There are several adverse consequences when people become accustomed to low quality in their food clothing and objects such as furniture, entertainment, and services. One is that the wealth of Sri in the field of artistry diminishes and is no longer distributed in society. People no longer understand or appreciate beauty and splendor. Thus, people in general experience reduced rasa in their life. If someone inclined to the field of resources works in the field of artistry without having the means to strive for whatever is bigger and better, such a person will feel satisfied. The drawback is mainly the temperamental differences between people in the two fields. People in the field of artistry are generally satisfied with simple living, preferring to focus on honing the quality of their craftsmanship or fulfilling their personal artistic vision rather than on constant expansion. Generally, people from the field of resources who keep working in the field of artistry will eventually feel frustrated and dissatisfied because their nature is not given scope to express itself. What about when people in the field of artistry work in the field of resources? They are, uh, perhaps they are driven to such work because of the career paths within a firm, but they'll feel frustrated when their supervisors may relentlessly drive them to keep finding new ways to expand the business which they are not intrinsically motivated to do. On the societal level, this crossover is likely to result in waste and inefficiency. Those whose nature is in the field of artistry, artistry find it tiring to focus on optimal flows of resources over the long haul. Some of the food waste occurring in present society is likely due to this situation. A more subtle societal problem with this crossover is due to the laudable tendency of those in the field of artistry to be satisfied with the simplest, most direct, and immediate way of fulfilling their needs. In the field of resources, however, sustainability of the enterprise depends on cherishing our sources of wealth and field of work. Cherishing natural resources as a whole requires a kind of long-term thinking and big-picture view where ecology, sustainability, and renewable are prioritized at the expense of immediacy. It is irksome for those naturally inclined to the field of artistry to have to have such priorities and such a viewpoint. This crossing of fields is one of the reasons for depletion and pollution of natural resources, poor outcome for humanity and for the planet. So to summarize the problem with crossovers, they cause harm to society in general, and the individuals feel conflicted and torn. Anyone acting outside of their natural field will be told that the attributes they hold most dear are wrong or inappropriate. 
And indeed, such will be the case as they are out of their environment, as we might call it wrong for a fish to attempt to breathe through gills on land. For example, while working for profits and to expand wealth is essential for society when done in the field of resources, that behavior becomes objectionable when done in the other fields. Such a situation would cause great angst to an ill-placed person. Uh, so this is just some of the societal and individual harms, but shows us why there is wisdom in designating four fields of work and why these particular uh, four fields of work. So uh, we'll stop now. We have about 15 minutes uh, for questions and discussions. But I think that this, this analysis, although, although brief and, and cursory, should give us some idea of, again, we were speaking materially uh, here today, of why it is good to understand our own temperament and to be engaged accordingly. On the spiritual level, we are meant to use that same temperament not only for our material satisfaction and the smooth running of society, but also as our way to serve Krishna. So we'll take now questions and comments. And I see some in the chat window. Um, what if a person has a natural combination of two fields that can be beneficial? Um, can I have give an example of that? Uh, sure. Uh, okay, let's say there's a devotee that's uh, extremely um, talented in, in the artistry field, uh, a devotee, um, long time, long time artist, but she also has a tremendous intellectual capacity uh, for studying scriptures and giving classes. And um, I, uh, well, I'll just say who, who I'm thinking of, and that's Jada Rani. And, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not... Um, well, again, we, we kind of... We, so we kind of discussed this. We discussed that people in the fields of... Especially in the fields of ideas and government, although sometimes also in the fields of resources, may use attributes of the field of artistry. I, I don't... I'm not going to say about her personally because that's not my yeah, position right. to speak about her personally. So I'm just going to speak theoretically. Right. So, for example, uh, I love to create beautiful PowerPoints with music and, and so forth. Uh, but I do that to communicate ideas and to teach. So there are many people in the field of ideas who become expert in some aspect of the field of artistry as a means of communicating ideas. They're, that what they're playing with are ideas and knowledge, but they're communicating it through something in artistry. And that would be true also if you become expert in public speaking. You know, that's an area of the field of artistry. And those in the field of government may become expert in public speaking. I mean, anyone in the field of ideas, government, or resources might develop some expertise in the field of artistry, which is used in the service of their field. But they're not working in the field of artistry. Working in the field of artistry means that your main satisfaction is in your craft, and you're doing it to please various customers. You're not so much just expressing your own ideas. It, it's quite different. So, uh, and then you know, those in the, of course, everyone is is uh, has some like of ideas, and study of the scriptures is there for everyone in all fields. You know, everyone is meant to. Of course, traditionally, those in the field of artistry didn't study the scriptures uh, directly, but anyone in any field of work certainly can understand transcendence and, you know, much to tell Magadha Pranam, Bodhiyantas Prasvaram, Kadhiyantas Tamam, Nityam Tushanticha, Ramanticha. That applies to everybody. Everybody gets great satisfaction and bliss from talking about the Lord and from talking about transcendental subject matter. It doesn't matter what field you're in. So the fact that one gets great satisfaction and bliss from speaking about transcendence doesn't necessarily mean that one is a Brahmana, that one is working in the field of ideas. So both these things need to be taken into consideration, that people in the field of ideas and government especially, and to some extent in the field of resources, often uh, use things in the field of artistry in, as in the process of their work, although they're not in the field of artistry. And by the way, people also in ideas, government, and resources may do things in the field of artistry as hobbies. Uh, because it's in the field of artistry that one is most likely to experience a sense of flow. 
And everyone in all fields gets great satisfaction speaking about the Lord and hearing about the Lord and hearing right. about transcendence. Uh, they may not get, just like I know one one devotee who, um, you know, he's a plumber and he's an electrician. And when he was asked to give some offering to Prabhupada on Vyas Puja Day, he just said, thank you Prabhupada for giving me a process that's fun. <laughs> that was the beginning, middle, and end of it. You know? Uh, he's, uh, he was actually my Gurukul student for a while. He, he joined when he was 17, and his parents had the provision that he had to get his high school diploma, or he had to at least go to high school until he was 18. So he joined my Gurukul until his 18th birthday. And he had no interest in studying philosophy or intellectual ideas whatsoever. But he loves talking about Krishna. You know, and he, and he loves studying Krishna. Uh, so, you know, it, it's... Those things have to be taken into consideration. Okay, okay. another more questions. Anyone else who has more questions? Thank you. Sure, I hope that answers your question. Hare Krishna, Mataji. Thank you very much for your class. Hare Krishna. Uh, the question is, but don't you think that uh, the artistry itself, it changes uh, when it's performed for a marketing purpose? In other words, you got to please the... Absolutely. You have, to, you have to please the people that they hire you, basically. Absolutely. And, and those who are actually in the field of artistry are in that situation. So if you have people who are naturally in the field of ideas or the field of government or the field of resources who may use some aspect of the field of artistry in their work, they're not doing that artistry to please a particular employer or a particular customer. They're using it in the service. You know, those in the field of ideas are using artistry to communicate ideas. And those in the field of government are using artistry in order to protect people. And those in the field of resources are using artistry in order to, you know, manage the flow of resources. They may become expert at charts and, you know, doing artistic-looking charts and graphs or something like that. Uh, whereas those who are actually working in the field of artistry are working to please the public. I mean, this really uh, came out to me uh, in looking at people who paint pictures that go in other people's homes. You know, their, uh, their happiness is in seeing the pictures in other people's homes. And their happiness is in seeing the pictures in government buildings or in museums or in temples. They're not painting the pictures for themselves. <laughs> They're painting the picture to give happiness to others. You know, they're, the mood of those in, the, in the, the mood of those in the field of artistry, frankly, is closest to the mood of bhakti. And that in bhakti, one is doing a service for the pleasure of the Lord and the devotees, and indirectly enjoying through their pleasure. It's a vicarious enjoyment, where you know I'm serving Krishna and the devotees, and I'm happy by their happiness. So that is the mood in the field of artistry. The people doing the field of artistry are not doing it for their own personal enjoyment of, the, of their artistry as much as they are for having other people enjoy that artistry. And it's, uh, it's a very nice mood of, of service. It really exemplifies that service mood in the field of artistry really exemplifies the mood of bhakti when it's done properly. Now we're speaking about those who are expert in the field of artistry again. So the descriptions in the Shastra of the four fields are those who are engaging in the four fields according to the principles of Dharma. And those qualities have to be distinguished from someone who hasn't yet learned the principles of Dharma, but who has a natural proclivity for the field. So somebody, you know, 12, 13, 14, 16, 18 years old, who has a proclivity for a field, but hasn't been trained in the Dharma principles of that field, may not necessarily exhibit those high qualities. Therefore, when looking at each of the fields, we look at both some initial proclivity that indicates what field you should go into, and then we're also looking at those who become expert in the dharma of that field. Omal actually says it's revolutionary. Those in arts are closest to bhakti. Actually, there's something in each of the four fields that's closest to bhakti. Each of us is meant to come, as Krishna says in the 18th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, every person can become perfect by performing their work. So in each of the four fields, there's something that's closest to bhakti, and there's something that's very far from bhakti. 
you know, each of the four fields, if we're going to talk about the problems of each of the four fields, each of the four fields has a problem with particular modes of nature, uh, what in our book we call the shades of ego. And each of those modes of nature has a particular kind of pitfall or difficulty. So those in the field of ideas are most likely to be tripped up by sattvagun. And the pitfall of sattvagun is, I am in balance, I am in harmony, I am equipoise, I am forgiving, I am the master of the world because I am detached from the world. And those in the field of government and the field of resources are likely to be tripped up by rajagun, which is, I am righteous, I am good, I am just, I am fair, I am ethical, I am a hero. Everything got to be bigger and better. And those in the field of resources and artistry are likely to be tripped up by tamagun, which in the field of resources involves cutting corners and being unethical and cheating, and in the field of artistry involves just so much wanting immediate pleasure that you don't think of the consequences of your actions. So all four fields have sort of an inherent tendency towards being tripped up by one of the modes which can pull you away from bhakti. So the field of ideas is closest to bhakti in that the very work of some of the field of ideas is the same as bhakti. So the work of deity, if you're maintaining yourself by deity worship, if you're maintaining yourself by preaching transcendental philosophy, if you're maintaining yourself by charity and distribution of charity, those are also activities of bhakti. So the field of ideas is closest to bhakti in that the technical work of some of the careers in the field of ideas can be the same as those in the field of bhakti. The field of government is closest to bhakti in that it involves providing the necessities of life for people and taking care of them. If you're providing the necessities of life for the devotees and taking care of them and protecting them, that is bhakti. The work in the field of resources is very similar to bhakti. If you're providing resources for the deities and for the devotees and you're protecting the cows. And the work in the field of artistry is very close to bhakti if this mood of service, of being satisfied with service, is connected to serving the Supreme and the devotees. So each one of these fields has a jewel that uh, is very easy to connect to bhakti, and each one of these fields has an impediment which can pull one away from bhakti. Okay, so let's see other things in this chat window. So... Ramananda says, the series of verses shows that the Brahmanas are the best. Wouldn't that mean that one who has tendencies for a lower Varna should endeavor for elevating themselves to become a Brahmana? Um, When we say the best, we're meaning in human society in general, those who work in the field of ideas are in one sense the most essential because they're guiding everybody else. Uh, But to try to change what your field of work in in this life, Krishna says, is useless. You're not going to be able to do it. So any striving to change your field of work is going to be energy that's being sucked away from bhakti. And it's, it's, it's useless. You know, it's, it's just like, you know, if you dye your hair, so dyed hair looks artificial in the roots always show. And that's, you know, money and time you could take to to doing devotional service. So any endeavor made to try to change our mundane nature, thinking one is better than another, is time and energy and etc. that's being taken away from our real mission in life. Each of the four fields has ways that are better than the others. Absolutely. Each of the four fields has ways in which they're superior than the others. And each of the four fields has ways in which they're difficult. I mean, look, some of the items of the field of artistry are also identical to bhakti, especially for musicians. Musicians, dancers, artists, dramatists. I mean, those are directly items of bhakti. And if those are your areas in the field of artistry, those can be bhakti just like those in the field of ideas. And those in the field of artistry have a natural tendency, just as those in the field of ideas do, to be self-satisfied. In the field of ideas, one tends to be self-satisfied by inner balance. 
In the field of artistry, one tends to be self-satisfied because one just isn't particularly ambitious. But in both cases, those are qualities which are very helpful to bhakti. <coughs> uh, translators could be in the field of artistry or ideas. It depends on how they're translating and in what they're translating. If it's just a craft uh, that they're expert in, that's in the field of artistry. And if they're doing that to uh, please other people and as other people want just as a craft, that's the field of artistry. If they're translating in order to communicate ideas and philosophy, that's more in the field of ideas. It depends. But um, is, these are just really material things unless they're connected to Krishna consciousness. And, and if Absolutely. they're done in Krishna consciousness, then uh, really doesn't matter, you know, I'm, I'm just doesn't matter. It's, it's, well, it doesn't matter in the sense that the value doesn't matter. The value is equal. Any work done in Krishna consciousness is equal in spiritual value to any other work done in Krishna consciousness. And any done, work done out of Krishna consciousness, So any work done out of Krishna consciousness has no real value or meaning. And any work done in Krishna consciousness has equal and absolute value to any other work done in Krishna consciousness. So from that point of view, these considerations of Varna have no significance. They're not, the considerations of Varna even of themselves are not bhakti. Nor do they have any real meaning when it comes to bhakti. It just doesn't matter. On the other hand, Varna is emphasized throughout the scriptures. Particularly Varna is emphasized throughout the scriptures. Why? Why in, in a transcendental work like the Bhagavatam that throws at all cheating religion, and why in the Bhagavad Gita is the concept of Varna brought up at all. And it's brought up in a positive light. It's not brought up in a disparaging light. Why? Well, first of all, most of us are not transcendental to the modes of nature. Most of us are not transcendental to our material proclivities. And even Arjuna was advised to do work according to his nature. In fact, the entire Bhagavad Gita could be seen as a treatise about how to work in the world. It could be seen as a treatise about career. So Krishna says no one can maintain their physical body without work. And unless one is an avidutta, one is going to work in the world. So we're going to work in the world either as a manifestation of our proclivities or as service. And in either case, we should do the work in the world from which we're, which we're most suited. I mean, that just makes sense. You know, you use a hammer for what it's suited for and you use a wrench for what it's suited for. So the work of a hammer and the work of a wrench is equally valuable in bhakti, and one is not more valuable than the other, but you want to use each according to the way they should be used. You know, you want to fry or bake eggplants. You don't want to boil them. And it's, you want to know how to, how to use different things in, in different ways. So this knowledge of how to use the particular body and mind that we have in this life is valuable in bhakti even though in one sense it isn't valuable in bhakti, in another sense it is. Because otherwise it can be a major distraction and energy suck from our bhakti if we're not engaged according to our nature. And the other thing is that if we're not engaged according to our nature, as we talked about today, it's a huge disruption for society. A lot of the disruption in modern society is that people have crossed fields. A lot of the reason is that people don't know the dharma of their field, and another reason is that they're working in the wrong field. And when you put those two together, that they don't know the dharma of their field, and that they're working in a field that's not their field, you have the major cause of disruption in modern society. At almost, almost every problem in modern society, you can trace to one or both of those things. The people are, are working out of their field, or they're working in their field, but they're not working in their field according to dharma. And when society is disrupted... Preaching bhakti is much more difficult. Sometimes devotees think, well, there, if there's a war or economic collapse, preaching bhakti will be easier because people will be suffering so much. But that view is not the view of the Shastra and the Acharyas. The view of the Shastra, of the Lord himself and of the Acharyas, is that bhakti is most easily uh, prosecuted when society is harmonious and peaceful. So therefore, Krishna himself, all of our Acharyas, uh, Srila Prabhupada, has some interest in the mundane side of society as related to bhakti. There's some interest in that. 
In and of itself, it's not very important. In and of itself, whether you take a shower or a bath doesn't really matter as far as bhakti. You can love Krishna even if you're dirty. But if you're clean, it's easier to prosecute bhakti. It's a very, a very simple thing. The four regulative principles are not transcendental. They're not. The four regulative principles are not angas of bhakti. But if one doesn't follow the four regulative principles, doing bhakti is very difficult. So therefore we have some interest in these, in these mundane things. It's not that we have no interest in them. We have interest in them because Krishna has interest in them. The Shastra, the Acharyas, the great Rishis, Srila uh, Prabhupada, therefore we have some interest. So I have to go. We have our morning program here. Uh, thank you very much, Srila Prabhupada. Thank you,